You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. And I don't know about you, but uh, you get to a day like today and you're like, how do I get geared up for this Christmas season? How do I get ready? How do I get prepared for Christmas? And I love seeing what like kids, their interpretation of the events around the Christmas story. And you and I, we need to be reminded every year of the Christmas story. Why? Because we forget. We forget that there's a newborn king. We forget that there is uh, the God's intent to come and to reach to us. And we need to be reminded about it every single year. And it's just beautiful to see a kid's interpretation of that. And some of you are like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to prepare the soil of my heart to experience Christ in all the craziness of Christmas? Because you're thinking work stuff and, and you're thinking, you know, uh, family stuff and there's family baggage sometimes that comes along with that. And you're, you're thinking just the busyness of the season and how to get gifts and, and just all that compiles all these things. But what I want to invite you to do today is to begin to lead yourself. You begin to prepare the soil of your heart for what God wants to do inside of you at Christmas time. And we do that. That's why we gather here. It's why we need to be reminded about it every single year. And let me tell you, some of you in this room, maybe your parents, uh, you will put yourself through just horrendous experiences just because you love your kids, right? I mean, some of you, you're going to stay up all night putting together some sort of a toy or whatever, or you're going to figure out that you got the toy, but you forgot to get batteries. You're going to run out real quick and get batteries. And you're going to go through all these horrendous experiences just because your favor is toward your kids. You love them. You, you want to provide for them. And so you're going to go through these experiences. I don't know how many of you have had to sit through or will have to sit through several hours of horrendous Christmas holiday program that your kid's involved in. And it's bad. The acting's not good. It's not put together well. The music is maybe horrible. But you will do that. You will sit there through the whole thing. You'll videotape most of it. And you'll be like, oh, so great. Why? Because your favor is toward your kid. Because that your favor is toward them. And you will do that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I played in beginner band. And part of beginner band when I was like a seventh grader was that we were part of the orchestra. And we were all beginners. There were no veterans among us. There were no prodigies. Nobody, right? So we were all beginners. And my parents had to come. And they had to sit through the beginning of junior high orchestra. You know how bad that is? It's awful. You know, you don't think of angels. You don't think of it. No, like literally when the band is like the orchestra is warming up, if you go to a symphony, it's a beautiful thing. They're all like on pitch. They're all warming up. You see them all playing with their instrument. It's very cool. Junior high band, junior high orchestra, not even close. It sounds like a reindeer in labor, right? <laughs> it's just bad. And yet you will sit and endure that if your favor is toward a son or a daughter or a friend. You will just do that. Why? Because your favor is toward them. You know, you start, you start dating somebody or you get engaged or married to somebody. And, and listen, men, at this time of year, you will sit down and watch a holiday chick flick with that woman because your favor is toward her. You will endure that, right? Because your favor is toward her. And, and ladies, you will, you know, be together with your man and he'll go out fishing and he'll come back and he will like gut a fish and rip it out and clean that, that fish out and then he'll reach over without washing his hands. He'll grab a chip and he'll dip it and then he'll eat it and, and you'll think how adorable. You'll put up with that for a while because your favor is toward them. You might not kiss them after that, but you know, your favor is toward them and you'll put up with all sorts of things. And, and in this room, there's maybe some high schoolers, there's some junior hires, and, and you're looking at some of your friends and your friends are pathetic. 
because you watch them and they're like dating and all of a sudden your friend who was like normal and confident that they just changed and they are putting up with the most ridiculous stuff why because they're favored they're so much in love and you just are like i don't get it why do you do that you maybe look at married people and you're like why do you do that why would you ever do that i hope i never have to go do that is what you might think and, and someday you will change because you will find that your favor is towards somebody and it will change your heart and you will begin to look out because your favor is toward them and you will put up with a lot of things because your favor is toward that person. Here's why you need today's message. You believe that God feels about you like you feel about other people. That's why you need the message. You believe that God feels about you like you feel about other people, that at some point in your life, your favor was toward another person. You liked them, your favor was toward them, but given time and disappointment and harsh words and humanity, your favor wanes and goes away. And in the same way, you think God might be favorable to other people, but maybe with you, he's just grown too tired, too familiar, too disappointed with you. See, this idea of a newborn king is sweet, right? Oh, a little baby in the manger, like a newborn king, that's a sweet idea. But you're worried because you think that king, that sweet, might just grow up and get wise and outgrow you. But nothing could be further from the truth, and that's why you need this message today. Heather and I are going to travel to the Holy Land, uh, to Israel, and go on a study tour at the beginning of the new year. And we're looking forward to it. I spent a month in Israel when I was in college. But that was like literally like 28 years ago. Don't do the math. And, um, and it was just phenomenal to be there. And I've wanted to go back ever since. And God has opened the door for us to go uh, back at the beginning of the new year. And one of the beautiful things about it is it'll be right after Christmas. And we'll kind of wander through some of the areas we're going to hear about in the Christmas story. So we're going to remember that Joseph and Mary went from Nazareth. And they went up, up in elevation, even though they went south. They went up to the area around Bethlehem and around Jerusalem, and we'll be able to go visit those areas. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the Western Wall in Jerusalem, and that's a place where Orthodox Jewish people will go, and Christians and others, will go and they will pray to God. And, and what they will do is they will write prayers on pieces of paper and they'll stick them in the little cracks of the wall. You know what I'm talking about? They stick them in there like they're bringing the prayers. And, and I want you to know something about that wall. That wall is not part of the temple. It's not part of like the old ancient temple. What that wall is, it's a retaining wall. It holds dirt. That's what that wall does. Because in the olden days, you have a hill, and the hill's rounded, but they didn't have grading equipment. So what they would do is they would build walls up on the side, and they just backfill everything with dirt, and you increased your real estate. You just made your acreage bigger because you just built up walls and backfilled it with dirt. Well, as Jerusalem would get conquered and the temple would get destroyed, they would just sweep all the rubble off the side of the top and just they'd level it out and build whatever they wanted to build now. And so in AD 70, when the temple got destroyed by the Romans, it was just cleared. That place was cleared. And over time then, like the Dome of the Rock, which you often see as a symbol of Jerusalem, is there. But the Orthodox Jewish people, the closest they can get to where, as an Orthodox Jew, to where the temple was is the retaining wall. And so they bring their prayers and they stick them in the wall. Now, we know as believers that we can pray to God. We have direct access to him. We don't have to go through anything like that. But, but we do it. And, and Heather and I are going to ask you to do something today. We're going to ask because we love you. We love our church family. And because we're going to Israel, what we want to do is, in your program, you've got a little piece of paper. 
and it looks like this. It's a blank piece of paper that is not your sermon notes. That's the other piece of paper. But I want you to take out this piece of paper, and during the sermon today, I want you to write a prayer. I want you to pray for something. And then later today, when we go to a time where we take communion, we remember the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask you to fold that thing up and go back and stick it in the cracks of the wall back there by the sound booth. That's kind of a prayer wall, by the way, if you ever do that or have done that with us before. Our prayer teams will pray for those things. And what we would like to do, Heather and I would like to do, because we love you. We love our family. We know we have direct access to God. But we want to, on behalf of our family, type all those prayers up really small and take a couple pieces of paper. And when we go to the Holy Land of the New Year, we want to take the prayers of our people just symbolically to a God who is accessible and stick them in the cracks of that wall. So we want to do that. And if you'll participate with it, we would love to pray for you for something that you've been praying for. And we'd like to take that when we kind of pilgrimage, if you will, uh, to Jerusalem. That's going to be a, a great time. But it makes us think back to these times, to these times when there was a newborn king, to when the, there was a place called Bethlehem, and there still is, and there's a place called Jerusalem, and there are very real people. And, and so we realize, if you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 2. We realize that Joseph went to Bethlehem to register with Mary because there was a census, right, being taken. And he was pledged to be uh, married to her, and she was expecting a child. And the time came, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger. We remember that that's the Christmas story. And so enters the story, and it's not, it, you know, it's not fake. It's a very real. This is a historical account. We enter Jesus, the newborn king. Jesus, the newborn king. And so if you look with me in your Bible at Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, it describes this experience. It says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? What were they? Were they like, woohoo? No, they were terrified, right? Let me just draw the picture for you for a minute. Uh, I got to undo some, some fable for you a little bit because what happens is art takes over history and then it uh it kind of corrupts what we think when you think of your nativity at your house you picture the angel and the angel on his back what does the angel seem to have wings right every time a bell rings an angel what yeah no that's hollywood it's hollywood you know that's a christmas uh what's the name of that movie wonderful life it's wonderful life right so all, but the truth is in scripture you never see angels have wings you see cherubim have wings that always stay up in heaven, that never leave that side, but, but you don't see angels having wings. Angels, when they appeared to people, look like warriors, like massive, big, just power, and they were messengers of God, and people's first reaction whenever an angel showed up is they were afraid, and the shepherds were out with their flocks at night, and remember, at night, and the angel showed up, and the glory of the Lord shone around. Now, I gotta let you know, there was no fire required. This person shows up, this angel, and he's shining. The angel is shining. There's no LED lights. They're like, how do you do that? You know, there's no Christmas sweater. There's nothing. It is just shining without light. And if that were to happen to you, if everything you know is at nighttime, you only have light because of fire or maybe a star in the sky or a moon, and this is neither that, but a person shows up and this light shines all around, if that happened to you and me, we would be terrified. If that were you and me and we were shepherds, then in that moment, you would need brand new wool tidy whities right after that. That's what would happen if you were a shepherd. Because you'd be terrified. 
And angels don't have wings. They show up as messengers, and they look like warriors every time that you see them in Scripture. Right? But what happens? Culture over time, we think they float. And we think they, that they got to fly because we think they have wings. And all we have to judge these things on are what the Scriptures tell us. And the Scriptures don't mention angel wings. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why? Because they were terrified, right? It's a typical opening line for an angel. Don't be afraid. Because what's happened? Every time they show up, people are afraid, right? Don't be afraid. He says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the angel shows up. They give this great news in this moment. And, and if you're taking notes today, you're going to realize something. That the one angel shows up, but then you're going to realize if you're taking notes today that the great company of heavenly hosts appeared suddenly. All of them show up all of a sudden. Whoever was sent to announce this choir, if you will, who began to praise God, they show up all of a sudden. I love what Louis Giglio says. He says this. He says, you know, fictionally, that perhaps they appeared suddenly because they leaned in a little too far to take a peek at the Christmas story, and they kind of just fell in. <laughs> Don't you like that picture? That brings some, like, a great picture to mind that, that they were just so curious, like, what is God up to? What is he doing? This is so amazing. I want to see, and they kind of just fell in. And I got to help you realize something again. It talks about them being a heavenly host. And because of that, because of the, the way the scriptures say that, people often thought that that's where they were, that the angels were on the ground, the angel shows up, and that because of the heavenly host, they must be floating, but all we know is what the scriptures tell us, and the scriptures tell us that they're the heavenly host because they're saying their origin, not their location. Does that make a difference? Right? The origin, where are these angels from? They're from heaven. It's not saying that they're floating in the sky like a choir in the sky. How many of you have always thought it's a choir in the sky? Come on, be honest. Right? We think it's like this choir in the sky, like, oh! And they're singing, you know, and they're, they're all excited. And the truth is, what happens is the angels are, I mean, the, the shepherds are terrified. They're out with sheep at night. They're hanging out. This guy shows up, looks like a warrior, and he's glowing. And then all of a sudden, they are surrounded by the host of messengers giving glory to God and their origins from heaven. And they know this is not a human army. This is not anybody. This is a word from God. And they uh, get all excited seeing that. And this is what they say, that suddenly this great company of heavenly uh, hosts appeared with the angel praising God. And I love, I love what they say at the very end. Look at this phrase with me again. It's this. He says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Don't miss that. On whom his favor rests rests literally don't glaze over that don't just skip by that to get to the next part of the story i want you for a moment to let that phrase on whom his favor rests i want you to let it jab you in the head and right hook you in the heart on whom his favor rests his favor rests on people his favor rests 
on us. God's favor rests on you. Don't miss it. It's something that's been accomplished. It's not that it's going to rest. It's not that it at one time did, but it left. But instead, the angels are saying, listen, God's favor rests on you. I don't know about you, but I think I spend much of my spiritual journey trying to get God's favor to rest on me, trying to earn God's favor. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you think, well, of course it does, but I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to, like, earn it. Like, God, look at how I'm doing and look at maybe how I'm performing. And, and then God, more of God's favor is going to rest on me because I'm doing well. And, and I think that concept to the angels who are watching your spiritual life and my spiritual life, I think, that, I think it's a foreign concept to them. They're like, what are you doing? Don't you realize that God's favor already rests on you? What, what are you doing there? You have all of God's favor. It rests on you. He loves you. It's already been paid for, accomplished. God loves you. What are you doing? Don't you get it? His favor rests on you. His favor is already all over you. So what do they say? We look at the story and we find out that there's a newborn king. And it's not just any newborn king. Over the centuries, there have been a lot of kings who've been born. A lot of them. But this isn't a newborn king. This is like the Ohio State. This is the <laughs> newborn king, right? This is the newborn king. Different than all the rest. This is a king who is King Jesus. He was born of God and of a virgin, not of the natural ways of just a man and a woman and having a baby. That's what the other kings, all other kings were born that way. But this one is born of the will of God and of the obedience and receptivity of the virgin. And she becomes pregnant and Joseph comes alongside her instead of dismissing her away. He takes her, betrothed to her as his wife, but he does not have sexual relations with her until she's born the child. In a sense... This is the God-man, the only one who ever existed, 100% God, 100% human. He can understand both. He understands us. He knows our weaknesses, and yet he is God. He can overcome it all, and his favor rests on us. Listen, there's a newborn king. There's the newborn king because, wait for it, his favor rests on us. That's why he came. That's what he came to do. You know, again, why do I need the Christmas story every year of my life for the rest of my life? Because like you, I can be a knucklehead and I forget. I get caught up in life. I get caught up in the busyness. I get caught up in, I mean, heck, I'm still catching up with, you know, that it was just, you know, Halloween. And Thanksgiving happened somewhere along the way and Christmas is on my doorstep. I'm not even ready, right? But God wants us to come along and prepare the soil of our heart to receive him again this year as the newborn king. You and I need to be reminded. Why? Because I forget. I forget that his favor rests on me. And if you're anything like me, then you forget that his favor rests on you. And we need to be reminded his favor rests on me. It rests on us. And our belief about this will show up in how you pray or if you don't pray. I mean, think about it for a minute. Some of you in this room, I mean, maybe there was a week, maybe there was a time when you just slayed it spiritually. You just knocked it out of the park. And when you prayed that week, you felt like God deserves to give you something because you were just killing it. You were doing great. 
But I don't think that's the experience for most of us, right? I think it, more often it's, it's I'm not convinced that God's favor rests on me, and so, and so my, my prayers reveal it. And if I become prayerless, it's because I actually maybe somewhere deep down don't believe that God's favor rests on me and that he would actually answer a prayer. And even that, a prayer of mine, you might feel like I don't even deserve to get coal. But the angel showed up with good news, not bad news. The good news is there is a newborn king and his favor rests on you. I mean, think about it for a minute. What if we're wrong? What if your heavenly father doesn't feel toward you like an earthly father? What if he acts differently than you feel toward other people? What if it just simply is that God's favor rests on you, that he loves you, that he cares for you? What if, what if the angels are right and I have all the favor I could ever have with God? It makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? It makes a difference in our striving. It makes us live out of who God already says we are instead of striving, striving to somehow win his favor. Well, it wasn't just the Christmas story that told us this. Paul in the New Testament drops literally just this astounding kind of bomb of a statement that just shapes what it looks like for God's favor to rest on those who would put their faith and trust in him to those that he would call to be his children. If you have your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. He's telling the church at Ephesus, this is your identity in Christ. This is what's already been accomplished. This is what God did for you, this newborn king, because by the time that Paul's writing to Ephesus, Jesus has lived his whole life. He's been dead. He was crucified, dead and buried, rose to new life, conquered death, has ascended up into heaven. And now the church is being launched out, and Paul is writing to these new believers in Ephesus about this newborn king and what that newborn king accomplished in the life of a believer. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in who? In Christ. And I want you to realize something again. Remember how there was the heavenly host? You know, the heavenly host talked about origin. Where did all the, the, these hosts, these angels come from? They came from heaven. They came to earth. They delivered a message. And right now, what Paul is saying to you, he said, hey, there was a heavenly host, but I want you to catch that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God's done it. And if it's happened in heaven, it's happened on earth, and it, it is happening in the kingdom of God, becoming alive in your heart and mind. He goes on and says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. How many times have you felt orphaned? How many times have you felt like, I don't, I don't know if I belong with God, or I feel... Listen, he chose you. Remember a couple weeks ago I said, you know... God chose me to be a pastor. Pastors don't self-appoint. God chooses them, and God doesn't choose, you know, me because he somehow loves me. He chose me because he loves you, and he's going to work through my gifting in ways to speak to you in the same way. You didn't choose God. God chose you. He adopted you. He wanted you. He loved you. He could have he wrung his hands and been like, I'm sick of them, and just be done with the whole thing. I'm righteous. They're sinful. Game over. 
But that's not what's happening here. He predestined us to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, according with his pleasure and his will. Oh, he wanted to. He loves you. Go on, verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. His favor is lavished on us. He goes on, he says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Who's Christ? The newborn king. Why did Christ come? Well, let's unpack it. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And then Paul says, that was like his experience, now he's saying, and to you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believe, that's what we do in our heart, right? We believe you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I mean, that's a lot there. Paul goes on and on and on, but what he's talking about is what does it look like when God's favor rests on you? What has been accomplished through Christ? God has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And sometimes you and I are trying to strive. Sometimes you and I are trying to earn God's favor. And he's saying, listen, this is something that has been accomplished. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and you have been given every spiritual blessing, and you're going to experience change in your life right now. You're going to experience what it means to come spiritually alive. You're going to have new life. God's going to forgive your sin. You're going to walk in relationship with God, but also in the time when you die. There is an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. There's no more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain for the old order of things has gone away. Doesn't that sound like good news? Our world's crazy. We need Jesus to come back. But Jesus waits. You know why? Because he wants you to be saved. He wants you to put your faith and trust in him. His favor rests on you, and he wants others to come to a saving knowledge of him. God's not slow, as some would consider slowness. He is, he is patient, not wanting any to perish, the scriptures tell us. You say, God, why don't you come back? Some of you prayed to come back for the election. Well, because he wants some people to be saved, is why he hasn't come back. You say, God, come back before the economy dives at some point. God, come back before there's a war. God, come back before I have to die. God, come back before my parents have to die. God, come back. And we just, we just put the list on, and God's like, I'm patient. Why? Because my favor is toward people. I want them to be saved. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, all these spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing has been given to you. So endure and persevere and be patient for just a little longer. His favor rests on you. Well, that was a lot, but I want to walk through it with you a little bit. It's not in your outline, but here's what he says. Let me sum it up for you, right? He says, first of all, he chose us. He said he adopted us. He predestined us. God chose ahead of time. He gave us his grace. He redeemed us. Now, I want you to understand what redeem means. 
He bought us, and it came at a cost. You're, when your favor is towards someone, you might get them a gift at Christmas. You might say, hey, my favor is toward you. I'm going to bless you with a gift, and it's going to come at a cost to you. But Jesus said, here's my cost. I'm going to leave the comfort of heaven. I'm going to come to earth. I'm going to live, and I'm going to invest for 33 and a little bit more years. Then I'm going to hang on a cross, and I'm going to willingly receive all your sin, your shame, your guilt, Jesus says, upon himself on that cross, and he's going to cancel it out, satisfying the righteous wrath of God against sin. And then he's going to conquer death, and we all die. But he's going to conquer it and he's going to raise to new life. And he, by putting our faith and trust in him, will guarantee us eternal life. Jesus said, listen, I redeemed you. What do you do when you redeem a coupon? You give it to a little person, they scan it, you get money off. Jesus said, I redeemed you, but it looked like this. And it wasn't comfortable. But he did save you. Because you were lost and you were condemned. You were guilty in your own sin. You were empty on the inside. You were without life, without hope. You thought maybe you were rich, but you were naked and destitute and in want. And God said, my favor is going to actively, sacrificially rest on you. These are only possible because of the newborn king. It says this, not only did he redeem us, but he forgave our sins. He lavished God's grace on us. He made known his will to us. He marked us with a seal. In other words, he's going, they're mine. And the symbol of that is that I put my Holy Spirit on the inside of them. He guaranteed our inheritance. That Holy Spirit is a deposit to change and work in us and make us spiritually alive now in this life, guaranteeing that inheritance I mentioned about the life thereafter. He saved us. These are only possible because of the newborn king, Jesus Christ. His favor rests on us. What do you need to hear today? You are a favorite of God. You're a favorite. There's a very real evil one who wants to say you're sidelined, you've done too much, you've, you've sinned too much, you've done too much. God can't take you seriously. He wants to go on and just condemn you in every way possible, up and down. He wants to just give you all sorts of things to question the favor and the love of God because he's a defeated enemy and he doesn't want you believing the truth. And yet today, you and I, we need to be reminded that God's favor rests on us through a newborn king. Number four in your outline is a good thing that truth is not based on our feelings. It's based on the word of God. You say, how do I grow as a believer? How do I understand what it means to, to love the Lord? And, and you begin to read the Bible, and here's what you do. Every time that you're reading the Bible and you're going through and you're like, ooh, ow, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I like that. I don't know if I forget. I don't know if I believe that. God's favor rests on me, and I don't know about that. And, and you might feel differently. At that moment, you don't choose your feelings. You choose God. You choose the word of God. This word has pre-existed me. It is the living, active word of God. It is his text message to me. I'm not going to take it based on what I feel. I'm going to take it based on what he said. And I'm going to look. And I'm going to say, God, I will choose beyond my feelings, beyond my opinions, to follow you. I mean, a lot of people got opinions, right? Not all opinions are true. You may have some had opinions about election stuff. You may have some opinions about sports stuff. You may have opinions about all sorts of things, but just having opinions doesn't count. A lot of people got beliefs, all sorts of beliefs. Well, not all beliefs matter. The beliefs that matter are the ones that are spoken about in the Word of God. And the Word of God said there is no other way by which a person is saved but through faith, through believing what Jesus did on the cross. 
And when you put your faith, you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, there's a lot of Lords out there and we can all go whatever path we want, but saying Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the newborn King. Jesus is the prime example of God becoming flesh to bring his favor that he loves upon us and to offer us salvation when we were condemned under our own sin. That's when we believe. When we say in my heart, I believe Jesus, and I confess with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord, and we're saved. Jesus offers a, a gift. It's not based on what we feel. It's based on the truth of what he did. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life for just a minute before we go to a time of communion, I, I want to just throw this out there. Maybe today you're realizing that God's favor is toward you. Maybe you've been coming for a little bit and you've been hearing this, but you know right now is the day that you need to respond to Jesus. You need to give yourself to him. God's done all the work. He's paved the entire road. He's, he's hit the home run and he's run every base, but that last step has got to be yours. You have to choose to receive the gift that he's offering you. He's saying, my favor rests on you. This gift is for you, but you must receive it because I don't force it on you. And so the way you and I receive that gift is we believe. We tell him, God, I believe. I believe what you did on the cross, that you did it for me. I believe that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. I need a newborn king to make me spiritually alive. And if that's you today, then you pray a prayer right where you're seated. Just something like this. It's, it's your way of telling God your belief. You say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins that you were buried, that you rose to new life and you conquered death because you're God. And I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of all my sin. I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside and give me your Holy Spirit to begin changing me as a deposit to the truth I'll experience after I die because today I give you me before you were born before you performed or before you made your first mistake, God's favor was toward you, for you. He loves you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.